0: Hello and welcome to the Candy Gibbs podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about upcoming events, this podcast, and for other resources, visit CandyGibbs.com. Well, welcome to the podcast today. I am so honored to have again with us Dr. Ronnie Jackson who is a rear admiral who was chief medical advisor for President Trump and who is a candidate for U.S. Congress from the 13th District of Texas. And I have just enjoyed so much getting to know Ronnie and Jane, and just about their family and the things that they believe in and stand for. And I am excited for you to get to hear once again uh, from Dr. Jackson on several different issues. So I want to just welcome you again to the podcast. Thank you,
1: Candy. Thanks for having me.
0: I know you guys are so busy, and it is truly an honor and privilege for us to get to have some time with you. So thank you. Thank you. Well, I'm going to open this up in prayer, and then we're going to get right to the issues. We got a lot going on. All right, let's do it. Okay. God, we thank you so much for Dr. Jackson, his wife, his family. God, thank you for all that you've called him to do for our country. Thank you for his ability to communicate on national issues, state issues, and local issues. But most of all, Lord, I thank you for his heart uh, to serve you and to represent life and fullness of life. And God, we just pray for um, strength for wisdom. God, that you would give them energy to fulfill this calling that you've placed on their family. And we just pray for protection and blessings. Thank you, God, for the favor and the influence that he carries. And be with us during this time today. In Jesus' name,
1: amen. Amen.
0: All right. So we were just talking before we started about you were in Bowie, Texas, two nights ago?
1: We've been all over the place, yeah, but we just, uh, we're in Bowie and Childress and Nakona and, uh, you know, just uh, uh, Wichita Falls, and we've been everywhere all over this district for the last few days.
0: Well, we're even your second stop of the day with more to come here locally, so um, tell us a little bit about how the campaign is going and maybe about some upcoming events that our listeners might be interested in.
1: Yeah, so the the campaign's going great right now, you know, uh, super excited. We just got back, we just started three Three days ago, uh, with uh, the traditional campaigning, you know, the, the coronavirus had really shut us down. Uh, not as much on our end, but you know, you couldn't go anywhere and do anything because everything was closed. Uh, but now things are starting to open back up. We're out on the road again, doing what I really enjoy doing, which is going out and meeting folks. I love to go to diners and coffee shops, and uh, you know, and uh, you know, pass out my push cards and tell people about what's going on, and uh, and tell folks uh, about uh, you know, uh, you know, about about me and about my uh, my campaign and what I can do for the district and uh, why I'm the best candidate for, uh, for 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 the 13th congressional district. So we we're super excited about that i mean we have incredible enthusiasm in the campaign right now our grassroots is growing exponentially i think uh, we uh, we have the momentum right now and the uh, momentum at this stage of the race is is, is key obviously uh, it's going to carry us into early voting you know early voting is going to start on 29 June it's going to run until July 10 and then election day is on uh, July the 14th but what we're doing in our campaign right now is we're working hard to find people that didn't vote in the primary because anyone that wants to the only people that can't vote in this uh, runoff election are people that voted in the Democrat primary uh, if you didn't if you if you voted in the Republican primary or you didn't vote, in the primary, you can still vote in this runoff election. Make sure you get out there during early voting or on election day and vote. Uh, so uh, we are—we have a lot of enthusiasm right now. We have tons of volunteers that are just—I mean, we can't even keep up with the number of folks that are asking to volunteer for the campaign right now. We did a grand opening of our campaign office uh, here in uh, in Amarillo the other day, and we've been in that office for through you know for the last uh, you know month and a half, but we haven't been able to do anything there because of the coronavirus stuff. But so we had a big grand opening and. I invited everybody to come up. We thought maybe we'd have like, you know, 15, 20 people show up, and we kind of prepared for that. We must have had 65, 70 people. It was so crowded that we we didn't have anywhere to, for people to see it. It was burning up in there because people were packed in there. Uh, but, yeah, it was a great turnout and a lot of enthusiasm. So
0: Good. And you have some debates coming up. We do. And we can find that on your social media, or do you know right. the dates? That's uh, right.
1: If you guys go to the, my to my website, which is uh, R-O-N-N-Y, Jackson. For F-O-R, Texas, Ronnie Jackson, four, T-E-X-A-S, one 3 Jackson RonnieJackson4Texas13.com. You can find our schedule there, where we're going to be. Every day we're posting uh, what town we're going to be in, what restaurant or coffee shop we're going to try to do a little meet and greet at, and where we're going next. Mm-hmm. So you can follow the campaign and where we're going to be on there. You can also see what's coming up as far as debates and anything else that we're doing. We did a debate on Thursday night in Wichita Falls. That was our first debate of the campaign. Uh, I'm hoping that my opponent agrees to do a couple more mm-hmm. uh, here in Amarillo. And we've uh, we've identified uh, some folks willing to do that and put that out there. So as soon as he uh, rogers up that he's on board with that, we'll, uh, we'll get those debates squared away as well. I'm excited about that
0: because the one thing that I want to encourage everyone to do is... You need to get to know these candidates for yourself. Right. And not just what you hear about someone or what someone tells you about someone. You need to hear for yourself. That's right. From you guys, where you stand on different issues. And so I hope that people will tune in, listen to, show up for the debates.
1: And I think, you know, that's that's important to me, too, because I think it's important for the voters uh, to decide who they want to elect, not for uh, you know any of these uh, political interest groups or you know anybody who was tied to the previous uh, congressman here or whatever. You know, I mean, you know, he's being in, my my candidate's being endorsed by uh, the, our our current congressman. Uh, I'm being endorsed by the president by President Trump. But uh, you know, the, the issue is is that I really want the voters to decide this. I think it's important for me and my opponent both to get in front of the voters. Yes, he can tell the voters what he can do for the district, about his background, his experience, and what he can do for the district. I'll do the same thing. And then, uh, you know, the voters, that's the way it's supposed to work. The voters decide.
0: Yes, that's right. And how many candidates were in the original primary?
1: Fifteen. Fifteen. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So we've divided split votes between 15 people and now we're down to two. That's right. So I think everyone needs to take the opportunity to make their own decision and get to hear from from you and from Josh, and right. let's make the decision that the Lord puts on
1: our And I mind. feel like I'm going to get a lot of the votes from those other candidates as well, because uh, 10 of the 13 have, uh, have decided they're going to support me in this race, and mm-hmm. I think a lot of their voters will, will follow. But I'm not relying on that. Uh, I am literally Jane and I. I'm sitting here with my wife, Jane, who is the uh, number one most important person on my campaign team right now. Uh, she uh, she keeps me uh, headed in the right direction, and she's uh, just got an incredible work ethic. Uh, she's a and, champ. Yeah, so she's working hard, uh, but uh, you know I, I think that uh, you know we need to get out there, and uh, we our goal is to win uh, the hearts and minds of every voter, one voter at a time. Mm-hmm.
0: Very good, very good. Um, okay, let's talk about COVID. Okay not that anyone's asked you any (laughs) questions. So can you bring us up to speed on where you think that we are from the perspective of a physician and a medical professional locally Mm -hmm. um, and then state and nationally?
1: Well, I think we're in a good position right now. And I think that we're in the position that I kind of predicted that we'd be in all along because I said from the very beginning that I think the one thing we have going for us in this is I think this virus is going to be seasonal. I think as as uh, we get into late spring, early summer, the number of cases are going to drop rapidly. Now I think it might come back in the fall, I do uh, and uh, but I think it, it's not going to have the ability whatsoever to shut our economy down like it did now. All the issues and all the uh, uh, you know the fear that was ramped up about ventilators and all the issues that we had with uh, personal protective equipment, gloves and masks and all of these kinds of things, uh, that stuff is going to be everywhere everywhere Mm -hmm. by the time uh, this comes back in the fall if it does. I think we're going to have some drugs identified at that point. They're going to have a real impact on the morbidity and the mortality of this, which will be game changers as well. We probably won't have a a vaccine by then. We might. I mean, it's incredible how quickly they're moving on this because they've got uh, the full power of the private sector and uh, in in combination with the, the federal resources. Uh, and uh some of the uh, academic institutions all working together on this and then uh, the president has uh, has provided the funds to make sure that uh that, that they have the money to do it and be aggressive about it. So we may, we may see something sooner than later. But uh, even without that, I think that we're going to we're gonna find out that a lot of people, a lot of people got this and didn't know they had it. Mm-hmm. A lot of people got this, got sick for a few days, never went to the doctor, didn't think much about it uh, and uh, recovered from it. What that's going to mean is that we are going to have a lot of folks out there that are already contributing to our herd immunity, right? To get herd immunity, you really need about 85% of the population to either have been exposed to it and have antibodies to it or have to be Vaccinated by it, so we might not be at that level yet, but we're going to be well on our way there. So that if we do get a vaccine, we won't have to vaccinate everybody, uh, you know, for 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 it to, to, to serve its purpose. A lot of people are going to be immune to it by the time we roll around into the fall. And um, I think that uh, that we that you know the president's done a great job. He he was very aggressive about kind of uh, shutting things down initially with the travel from China and, uh, you know, in yeah. Europe and in our southern and northern borders and making sure that, you know, he, he took the uh, advice of the medical folks, uh, those that do a preventive medicine and immunology and things of that nature, he took it really serious, which mm-hmm. he had to. Mm-hmm. You know, every one of us were being told from, you know, every expert in the world, including the folks in China where this broke out, that this could be the next big pandemic that just, you know, eradicated 50% of the yeah. population on the earth, you know. And uh, so we had to take that serious. And we didn't know anything about the virus, anything at that time. We didn't know how infectious it was. We didn't know what the mortality rate was. We had no idea what drugs might work on it. We know a lot of that information now. We know it's pretty infectious, but we also know it has a mortality rate that's probably 0.1% or less, which is less than the seasonal flu or right around the seasonal flu. So. With those, and we and we know we've got some medications that are probably going to make an impact on this. With those things in mind, you can recalibrate, you know, your risk, uh, you know, and uh, and uh, the the risk of, uh, you know. uh, continuing with the social distancing and the impact that it's going to have on our economy versus the risk of getting our economy back open and, 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 the, and the virus spreading. And I think if you look at that risk calculation, it's changed dramatically, right? The president knows that. He's the first one to step out and lead from the front and say, hey, I, you know, and he didn't publicly say this, but what's going on is he formed another task force, right? An economic task force in conjunction with this pandemic task force that he had. Right. Pandemic fat task force was made up of all of those medical professionals. I'm telling you this is a doctor, uh, all of those medical professionals uh and the the uh, uh, the other economic task force to get our country back up and running is made up of the economic experts in our country he started not ignoring the advice of the medical folks but listening to what they have to say but letting the economic folks really lead us out of this and and that's a good thing to do the president understands that you know uh if uh, if you're a hammer everything looks like a nail wow. and so to all those folks on the pandemic task force they they're, they're just consumed with the epidemiology of it and the preventive medicine and they've gone from you know controlling the virus to eradicating the virus in their approach and we can't do that we cannot Work off a premise that we're going to eradicate this virus before people get back to work. We will not have an economy that we can even resuscitate anymore at that point, right? right. So we got to get out, we got to take some risk. I'm a strong proponent of just uh, continuing right now to, you know, uh, with our nursing homes and some of our assisted living facilities, making sure we're going the extra mile to protect those people because they really are. And that's another thing we learned about this virus that we didn't know initially that we suspected, but it turned out to be true. That's the vulnerable population. Mm -hmm. Those folks and people with really profound comorbidities and, and immune compromise, those people still have to be careful. Right. But the rest of us, we gotta get back to work, we gotta get our economy up and running, we gotta go back to living our lives uh, you know, in, in a normal fashion.
0: Well, and even with we here at Hope Choice, we work with college students, high school students, and younger on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And the thing through all of this virus um, reaction, mm-hmm that has been most concerning to me is the hopelessness mm-hmm. in the younger generations. Right. They need to be able to graduate at a graduation ceremony. Right. They need to be able to get their hopes up about a baseball season right. that's coming up. And so even the economy, we definitely have to get rolling, but even allowing people to live life, that is essential.
1: It Living is essential.
0: life is essential. <laughs> it, and it's time to get going. Yeah.
1: It is. It's absolutely essential. And, you know, the other thing, you know, and there was a lot of this up front, uh, and, uh, and it's continued throughout, you know, it it lulled a little bit when, when, uh, we, you know when people were worried about uh, you know r- really worried about what was going on kind of early but it started off there was so much political stuff that was inserted in this right and then like I said there was a little lull in that but it's come back now I mean we have governors and mayors all over the country right now in these blue states that are keeping their economy shut down they're trying everything they can to do uh, to hold their economies down because they want to impact our, our national economy they do not want to see our economy recover uh, and I think there were some economic numbers that came out I was just listening to some stuff on the radio on the way over here. It looks like we're in the middle of a, v, a V-shaped recovery. You know, I mean, it dropped like a rock, but we're going straight back up. That's the worst thing the Democrats uh, could, could could see. You know? And that's what they've been working so hard to prevent. They want to drag this out. They, uh, you know, they don't want the recovery side of that V uh, to happen until close to the November election so that the president can't run on the, the successful uh, you know, policies that he's had that basically gave us one of the strongest economies we've ever had the first three years of his presidency. They want to take that away from him. And they're working hard to do that. And they're punishing their citizens and uh, their small business owners uh, in the process. But that's where I have a problem with it. They don't care what's happening to the people that they represent. They're worried more about, uh, uh, you know, pandering uh, to the left and pandering to the the political concerns of their party. And some of them are even auditioning, uh, you know, uh, for for roles, you know, as cabinet secretaries and as the VP and things of that nature uh, in the event that uh, Vice President Biden ends up becoming and President Biden, which, uh, you know, uh, that's a horror, that's a horrific thought. But uh, uh-huh. anyways, that that's kind of what's going on right now. I'm just disgusted with all the politics involved in it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I want to point out before we move into our next um, topic, but I know that you personally, Amarillo was in a very bad place <laughs> due mm-hmm. to some uh, different businesses that we have in the community. And we needed tests, I think is what it was. And we were having trouble getting them.
1: Right. There were, yeah, that's right. There were several issues here. You know, one of the things that Amarillo had that was a big disadvantage initially is that they didn't really have any local testing ability. They could do the test, but everything they, all the tests that they collected had to be sent to Lubbock, and uh, and the turnaround time on that was like ten to twelve days. Well, you know, if if you have somebody you think might have the virus back then, you know, uh, and uh, you you were waiting ten to. 10 to 12 days to find out if the test was positive or not. That's not really helping us. You know, that's not That's not doing what we needed to do. So, you know, they, they came out with this ability to do the rapid test on these Abbott machines. And, uh, you know, a lot of the labs around here have those Abbott machines because they're exact same machines that they use for influenza testing, for flu testing. But you have to have the the uh, reagents and everything to test for the coronavirus. And that was the problem. None of the labs around here could get that. So they were forced to send all this stuff uh, to Lubbock. And there was, a, even before uh, those rapid tests were out, there was an opportunity. Uh, there was actually a, uh, a a, a, a an ability to do some of the testing up in Dalhart. Dalhart, believe it or not, which I I, I you know uh, had to ask around about this exactly, but it's because of the uh, uh, the cattle industry right up in Dalhart. They have some really high tech lab equipment up there that they use on the cattle side of the house too. But it's the same lab equipment that we would use that they're using Lubbock uh, to to get the results of this test. But they couldn't get FDA approval uh, and uh, you know, approval to actually get the, the the stuff that they needed to do these tests with a rapid turnaround in a day or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I made some phone calls initially and got some of that worked out so that the Dalhart folks uh, could do some of the testing up there. And what that gave them the ability to do, and uh, and they did some of this, was for tests that were being done in Amarillo to potentially be or in the Amarillo area to potentially be sent to Dalhart with a quick turnaround of a day or two versus going to Lubbock where they were overwhelmed with the ten to twelve. But then beyond that, when, uh, going back to this issue with the rapid test, uh, we were trying to get some of those reagents. So I started making some phone calls, and I know Admiral Jawar, uh, who was the uh, the person uh, that the president on the task on the pandemic task force that he put in charge of the testing. Yes. And you know, and I knew all those folks up there. You know, and that was one of the things I wanted to offer. Uh, you know, as a citizen here, I live in Amarillo, this is my home now, and I wanted to be a a productive part of my uh, community here in in a time of crisis, especially being that I was also a physician, uh, Mm -hmm. and that I just came from the White House, uh, and was part of some of the pandemic stuff that's been going on in the Trump administration for the last three years, and knew, you know, Dr. Fauci, Dr. Bricks, uh, Dr. Mm -hmm. uh, Jawar, everybody involved in that up there were people that I knew had home phone numbers and cell phone numbers, and so so I thought to myself, I need to figure out a way uh, to uh, find out what Amarillo needs here and make sure that we're getting what we need. Right. So I called up and uh, I got some tests uh, uh, you know, uh, designated to come to us when uh, Amarillo was considered an area at the, at the time. This was before the uh, uh, the issues broke out within the meatpacking plants where we oh, had a little yeah. bit of spike. And uh, they said, well, you're not on the list you know, because you're considered not a hot spot. You're, you're, you don't have a lot of cases there. It's got to go other places. But I made some phone calls and uh, some kind of backdoor deals uh, to uh, pull a few tests from uh, this pot and a few tests from that pot so on and so forth. And I got some packaged up ready to send to us. But it turns out we weren't going to get them in real timely fashion. It was going to be a matter of uh, you know uh, uh, four or five days before we got them, uh, maybe even a week, and we needed them now. So uh, I uh, I actually had to pick up. Uh, in D.C. that I needed to get down here and I had some other stuff. And I said, you know what, I'm just going to get on a plane. I'm going to fly up to D.C., right? I'm going to go just, I'm going to get the test, right? I'm going to put up. them in my pickup and yeah. I'm just going to drive them back down oh, here. Well. So I loaded some of them up in my pickup and uh, I drove back to uh, to Amarillo and, and we, we distribute them here so that we'd have some uh, uh, some immediate testing ability here.
0: Awesome. Well, we appreciate that so much and we've appreciated your wisdom and input and help through mm-hmm. this. Um, I'm very thankful that we are turning the corner, and I'm hoping for some Aggie football this they fall. Take. I, I would love wait. to go to a game with you We've guys. So we got great to do schedule it. this year. Yes. Like, um, okay, so that moves us to our next topic, which is really happening uh, right now, which is the civil unrest that we're seeing in our mm-hmm. country, and it is just heartbreaking mm-hmm. on every side. Can you give us a little insight into first of all, um, what is your response to those things, and and how would you advise citizens who are concerned, mm-hmm. uh, but wanting to move things in a positive direction and not contribute to the chaos?
1: Right. I'll tell you. You know, first off, I'll say you know I watched the video just like everybody else did, and, and you know the death of Mr. Floyd was horrible. I, you know, I, I you know I hated seeing that just like everybody else did. I thought you know. I think that, uh, you know, I'm not even going to refer to the guy that was involved in it as a police officer because I think that we have, a, a, you know, every community doesn't matter what community you're in, whether it's a physician or a police officer or a teacher or whatever. There's always going to be a few people in those communities, uh, you know, that uh, that have a propensity to do things like that or other things that make the rest of the community, give the rest of the community a black eye, make them look bad. And so I, I hope that he gets held responsible, uh, you know, yes. for his actions. Uh, I think it was a tragic death of Mr. Floyd. But what I also believe is that what's going on in Country right now, it's not about the death of Mr. Floyd anymore. It's not. Uh, You know, we have had uh, folks that are that have rolled in here, and they've uh, they've used the the tragic death of Mr. Floyd as an excuse uh, to steal to loot, uh, uh, to vandalize, uh, you know, law-abiding citizens, small businesses, their neighbors, right? And it's just, it's shameful to me to see that uh, that it's just this lawless situation that's going on in our country and some of our bigger cities. Uh, I'm going to tell you once again, I think that there's a lot of politics in this. I think some of these mayors in these uh, these blue cities uh, and some of these governors, uh, you know, uh, they're trying to walk a fine line right now between uh, letting some of this chaos continue because they think it's good for the party politically. Uh, because it's continuing to keep our economy down. Uh, and and, it's, and you know, they're hoping that the president gets a black eye on all of this and that it's a scar or a mark on him uh, as, as our leader. Uh, so they're, they're working hard uh, to, to, to push that. Uh, But, you know, it's just, uh, you know, we've got we've got these groups like Antifa, uh, you know, and I'm really glad that the president is designating them as a terrorist organization. They are. But it's endemic of kind of what's going on in our with our youth right now, unfortunately. And this is one of the things I'm going to it's going to be at the top of my list if I if I'm blessed enough to represent the you know, uh, my community here in the 13th congressional district is uh, the moral decay of our country. I mean, over the last several maybe two or three decades, uh, You know, our, we have an entire generation of youth that have just been brainwashed. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have literally been brainwashed to think that this country that we live in is a horrible place to live, right. which astonishes me. I've been to 120 different countries during my time in the military. I can tell you firsthand, there's no better place to live in the world than right here in the United States. And these kids that have never been anywhere other than the United States have been convinced that this is a horrible place to live and that, that, that they would rather live somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And it, it leads to to the kind of stuff that we're seeing right now, right? And and along the way, they've also just, they've lost any kind of responsibility or, you know, just, you know, uh, it's just the, the the way that they can victimize their neighbors yeah. and, and, and not and not have a problem with it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've got to figure out how we can fix that. Uh, I think that that's uh, the root of a lot of our problems in this country. I, of course am I going to be, you know, adamant and, and working hard, uh, you know, on, on issues, on pro-life issues, yes. uh, on immigration issues, on the Second Amendment. All of those issues are important to me. I'm going to work hard on those. But I think the root of what a lot of ha- uh, problems we have in this country right now is the moral decay of our country. And we got to fix that we got to fix it we got to find the root problem and, and, and attack it from there
0: exactly right and whether we're talking about this civil unrest that's going on and i would agree with you racism around every corner is wrong right no one absolutely is, yeah uh, no one disputes that uh, but criminal activity right. that people are carrying right. out as an with an excuse of racism that is equally wrong right um, and I, I'll be
1: honest with you, Candy, if I was, if I, I'm not African-American, but if I were, I would be really offended right now that these folks, they're ro- coming in here and are using, uh, you know, this conversation on racism mm-hmm. and Mr. Floyd's death yes. as an excuse to steal, loot and, and victimize, you know, and even kill. Even kill. I mean, we've yes. we had shop owners that have been killed. We've had police officers that have been killed. And I just want to say that as well. I am I am horrified at the fact that they have turned this into uh, an issue uh, with our with our policing, right? Yes. And our police officers. 90, ni- you know, ninety nine percent of all of the police officers in this country go out every single day and put their life at risk to right. to, to, to serve us and to protect our property and our families. You know, and uh, for for them to completely turn this uh, again. Against, uh, uh, you know, police officers in general, uh, it, it just, that that part disgusts me as well, you know, and uh, I, uh, I, 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 I can't, you know, the stuff that's going on right now, I, every day I get up and I think it can't get any crazier, any more unreasonable than it does. And, you know, the last couple of days we've had Ileana Omar, you know, from uh, from Minneapolis talk about, uh, you know, completely disbanding the entire police force in, in Minneapolis, completely get rid of it. And she wants to reimagine a, 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 a new way of public safety, right? And I, I just got to say, what is she imagining? I, I tweeted out today. She's from Somalia, from Mogadishu. I've been to Mogadishu. That is one of the most lawless cities in the world. Is that what she wants Minneapolis to look like? Because if you take the police force out of Minneapolis, it will look like Mogadishu. It will. Right. right? And and we just we've got to stop people uh, like her and 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 there's several of them in the in in the House of representatives a o c and Presley and some of these you know members of the squad and uh you know they 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 almost uh showcase and take pride in the fact that they uh that they're members of Congress, but they don't even really want to be americans right right and I don't know how to get that back, but we've got to do something exactly and it
0: all you know the civil unrest and covid has mm-hmm. all developed during your campaign right. But at the very beginning of your campaign, we were talking about you realizing what was happening in Texas school districts. That's right. And how liberal those those uh, viewpoints are turning. That's right. And it is all, whether we're talking about school districts or civil unrest or all of these different mm-hmm. things, it is all moral decay. It is. Moral decline. It
1: absolutely is.
0: And... Um, I want you to talk just a little bit about your pro-life stance and what that means, because we at Hope Choice are a pregnancy center. Uh Uh, We serve lots of women in unplanned pregnancies. Our goal is to enable them to choose life Uh for their babies um, and life choices for themselves. And we want to see them live an abundant life, the Uh life that Jesus um, hopes for them to live and created them to live. Um, That goes beyond unplanned pregnancies, though. Everyone, the next generation, uh, we want them to have hope. We want them to know Christ, and we want them to be effective. And that, to me, is what pro-life is all about. So tell me your thoughts on life.
1: Well, I'm staunchly pro-life. I believe that life begins in conception, right? And I believe that it's a gift from God and, uh, you know, he creates everything, that, you know, around us. Uh, and it, it's not our, uh, we don't have the, uh, the right, the authority uh, to, uh, to intervene in that, right? If, if, if God has bestowed life Uh, you know, in the the form of, uh, you know, a a woman becoming pregnant, it's no man or no woman's right to decide whether or not that continues, right? Right. That's God's decision, right? And uh, so I am staunchly, staunchly pro-life with no exceptions, right? I just don't, I don't have any exceptions. Uh, You know, I I say sometimes that, uh, you know, uh, my only exception being, uh, you know, immediate danger, immediate threat to the mother's life. And I say that as emergency medicine doc, so I want to clarify that too. Uh, You know, I'm an ER doc. Immediate threat to the mother's life means that I've got patient uh, you know a pregnant patient on the table in front of me, and uh, maybe they have an injury a gunshot wound or something an injury to the abdomen uh, and uh, they're they're bleeding internally and the only way you can save the mother's life uh, is, is is to uh, is to do a c section right there wow. the, you know because it's called a crash c section I've done those a few times right and uh you know uh, if there's something like that you know we were always taught to like you know the best way to ensure that uh, you can save uh, the baby is to save the life of the mother, right? Right. And uh, you know, obviously, if it's over 20 weeks, you try your best to to get that baby out of the womb as quickly as possible, resuscitate it, because we have incredible technology nowadays that yes. you know that, that can save babies that that you know that are that are in that stage of development very early on. We can we right. can do that. So we have to do everything we can to save that baby's life, but we do what we can to save the mother's life. But here's my problem with that: you hear a lot of politicians say that they are for uh, pro-life uh, you know, unless it is uh, you know immediate. Threat to the mother's life, and then you you start uh, questioning him on that, and, and and they have circumstances, and they're like, well. You know, uh, the doctor said that it's not in her best interest medically, meaning that they can go home for a few days or a few weeks and then come back to the clinic later on, a few weeks later, and get the abortion. That's not immediate threat to the mother's life. Absolutely That's not. not, right? That is not immediate threat to the mother's life. Right. And exactly. so uh, I, I don't support that, and I think a lot of people try to, uh, you know, use that as a loophole, uh, especially in districts like ours where everyone, for the most part, uh, you know, appreciates and, 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 and values, uh, you, know, the un, you know, the life of the unborn. Uh, a lot of people in this country don't. So uh, I'm staunchly pro-life, and uh, I just, uh, I think that, uh, you know, like I said, it's uh, we, we have to do everything we can to protect it. And um, what was the last part of the question?
0: Well, I, the one thing I want to point out that you just brought up, part of the left's argument, yeah. they'll say, I yeah. am pro-life except in cases of the health yeah. of the mother.
1: Right, and that is such a, co- that, and that means yeah. emotional health, right. financial health, right. yeah. you know. Yeah, and that's why I try to tell people, I'm, I'm like, you know, uh, you, you have to differentiate. Call people out on that. Make them define that for you, right? Because mm-hmm. when they start defining it, you'll realize that there are a lot of exceptions they have. There right. are a lot of exceptions. Right. And, you know, I would say also that, you know, uh, we were talking about the issues uh, w- uh, with race uh, mm-hmm. in, in the African-American community and stuff. And I'll just be honest with you. If, if I, you know, I think uh, people in the African-American, one of the things they should be most disturbed about right now, they should be, uh, you know, is that most of these abortions around our country—a large percentage, certainly, uh, based on uh, you know percentage of, uh, of race around the country—are African American babies. Mm-hmm. They, you know, these are young black children that are being aborted, right? Right. And uh, and, and Planned Parenthood and all these organizations—they with they, that they as started, their goal. They did, yes. And you know, and you hear people talk about it on the right now, but it never picks up the left. You know, the, the, the folks, uh, you know, the African American community, a lot of folks that are staunchly uh, on the left, they, they ignore that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and they talk about Black Lives Matter and all these. Kinds of things, And they do. Black lives matter. All lives matter. Right. right. But black lives in the womb matter, too. Right? right. And when are we going to start recognizing that, that, that the uh, that black lives of the unborn, they matter, too. Right. And they're targeted by the abortion. They are. Industry. And I think if, 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 the, if the black community, African community, community really get behind that, it would make such a difference uh, mm. in abortion in this country.
0: Absolutely. I agree 100 percent. And the bottom line of all of this is, and I just want to encourage everyone listening, we have to use reason. You have to think about the positions that people are taking, the arguments that they're making, whether we're talking about the civil unrest or pro-life or whatever, you know, the elections that are coming up. Listen to what you're being told and make reasonable decisions for yourself. Right. Also, the thing that gives me such confidence about uh, you, Dr. Jackson, is your faith. Right. And I think that every decision, I think that wisdom comes from God. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just want you to explain what a big deal your faith is to you as well.
1: Well, I think, you know, your faith, you you know, if you're a person of faith, your faith drives everything you do in life, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was just talking about this on Kingdom Keys a little bit earlier today, but you know, um, I believe that God has directed me to where I'm at, you know, and I think that he directs everyone. You know, he did, it's not just me. Uh, and uh, you, but you know, God gives you opportunities. He opens doors for you. He shows you the way, but you have to be willing to walk through those doors, right? That's the big difference. You know, uh, he gave us free will early on, you know, go back to Adam and Eve, right? We had free will. That's part of who we are, right? Mm-hmm. And that's part of like, you know, leads to our sinful nature as well. But we do have free will, but you have to Make a conscious decision that you're going to ask God for the wisdom you know uh, to tell you uh, what's right what's right and what's wrong you're gonna have you're gonna ask him for the guidance to show you where your path is and to open those doors for you but you're gonna have to have the courage to go through those doors exactly. right and so in uh, you know God may give you multiple opportunities it may not be a single path right. you may he, you may have multiple things you can do in your life that are all acceptable you know in his eyes and right. he may open lots of doors for you and you may get to choose that's great you get to choose kind of where you what you you know what, what you want to do and where you want to go and what you want to be right. uh, in this particular thing, you know, I mean, uh, this isn't the only thing I could do, be running for Congress here in the 13th Congressional District, but I think God's given me an opportunity to do this. I think he's uh, he's, he's opened my eyes to the fact that I'm in a unique position right now to do something about what's going on in our country. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, you know, the fact that Congressman Thornberry is uh, not running again in this particular district, a district that I identify with, that I grew up in and around this area, and I feel like these are the folks that I can identify with politically, socially, economically, culturally. I don't have to change anything about who I am or what I believe to represent folks here, He's, he, this, this, uh, this opportunity in that regard is coincides with the fact that I'm at the end of my military career. I'm already a, a Navy uh, flag officer and admiral, and I've already got over 20 years in, and I was already planning to retire. And then the, in conjunction with the fact that President Trump's about to get reelected for another four years, I've worked side by side with him for the last three years, and I have an incredible opportunity because of my relationship with President Trump and all of his cabinet members, whether it's agriculture or commerce or energy or the VA or defense, I, I know them well. They know me well. And the relationships are there that I have a unique opportunity that I can get into the fight and do something about what's going on in our country. Yes. So I think that, you know, he's, 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 he's brought me to this particular uh, doorway as one of my options uh, with this on the other side, with the, with the ability to be, for me to get in and do something about the moral decay in our country and to make this a better place for our kids and our grandkids because I'm worried about that right now.
0: Yeah, I agree 100%. And I just want to say again, thank you, because you don't have to do this. You're at a place in life where you didn't have to choose to run for this office. But because of your concern for our district, for Texas, and for the country, I just want to say thank you for throwing your hat in the ring and um, just for the tireless hours that you're spending in this campaign it, it's meaningful to us, and we appreciate it. Well,
1: thank you for the opportunity to tell folks a little bit about it and I'll tell you Kenny. one thing I tell everybody right now is uh, you know I'll make you two promises. Uh, one is if uh, you if you elect me as your representative, I promise I will make you proud. Number two, I also promise that everyone in this country will know who the representative from the 13th congressional district is. I will make sure of that and, and that's important for us because you know we're in a district that gets forgotten about. And people are like, well, yeah, but we do. Even with Congressman Thornberry, who's been in office for 26 years, we do. And you know why? Because we're... We are the number one most conservative district in the entire United States. That means two things. It means that the Democrats don't care about this district because they don't think they're going to get it. It also means the Republicans don't care about this district because they don't think they're going to lose it. Right. Mm, And so every time something comes down the pike uh, in some other area of the country, you know, uh, Illinois or, you know, somewhere in New Jersey where there's a Republican congressman or congresswoman. Right. But they're in a district that's right on the edge and they might lose that seat. It might go blue. They're going to turn the screws on the on the on the representative here to try to get them to vote, uh, you know, for for something that's going to help that person out. Exactly. And I guarantee you nine times out of 10, it's going to be something that people in this district are totally 100 uh, percent opposed to. Uh, and uh, and we, we, we need to have a, a congressman uh, in in in, uh, in the 13th congressional district that understands that and that is committed to not playing that game. And I'm not. I appreciate that so much. I want to just end with um,
0: a scripture that I think is so fitting. It's Psalms 101, and it says, I will be careful to lead a blameless life. I will conduct the affairs of my house with a blameless heart. I will not look with approval on anything that is vile. I hate what faithless people do. I will not be part of it. The perverse of heart shall be far from me. I will do nothing I will have nothing to do with what is evil. And whoever slanders their neighbor in secret, I will put to silence. Um, And I just feel like that speaks uh, to you and your family and the way that you've chosen to live your life. And um, I just appreciate getting to know you. I appreciate you taking the time to come and share with us and all the work that you're putting in right now. Thank you. Uh, Would you close us in prayer?
1: Absolutely. All right. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this wonderful, blessed day that you've given us. We thank you for all your many, many blessings that you've bestowed upon us. We also ask, Lord, that you will please forgive us of all of our many sins. We ask, Lord, that you will be with our community during this difficult time. Help the leaders that we have right now to uh, have the courage to step up and uh, to do what's right and not to be driven uh, by political concerns. Uh, Please help us to get our our moral high ground back in this country. Help us to, uh, to reclaim the principles that, that our strong country that you've, that you've given us we're, we're, were founded on, our good, strong Christian principles. Um, help those in, in, in Congress uh, to increasingly be among the faithful, Lord, and the ones that, that, that want to see your will done. Please watch over us, Lord, protect us. Uh, thank you for, uh, for, for all the opportunities that you've given us. Please uh, continue to show us the way in everything that we do in life. Please be with us, guide, guard, and direct us, Lord. and in your Son, Jesus Christ, most holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Jackson. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to the Candy Gibbs Podcast. For more information and other resources, visit com.